This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Star Trek Picard episode 307, Dominion, but Boy, have we got a lot of news to go through before we get that, because we have had renewals, premiere dates, announcements, and now we have an official word on the next Star Trek show. It is going to be called Star Trek Starfleet Academy. Uh, What a surprise. (laughs) There is an element of surprise here in that we've known this is coming, but this is it's been announced presumably as an ongoing series. It has a series order you know because there was some question of how tight is the belt tightening even though we've been reporting that this show is in active development that there's a writer's room going and you know but you never knew so yeah they're going forward they didn't say it was a discovery spinoff the words discovery didn't appear in the press release but it is clearly a discovery spinoff because that's (laughs) you know i that's when it's taking place it's in that time period Again, they didn't even say 32nd century, but the, the the release includes this kind of, you know, recruitment, you know, message for Starfleet Academy has been, you know, out of operation for over a century, which was true in the 32nd century because of the burn, et cetera. Yeah, it is what we thought it was, um, but there's no mention of Mary Wiseman being involved or any Discovery actors. Right. Alex Kurtzman is the co-showrunner. He was the co-showrunner on discovery and still is until that show wraps up in 2024 and he's brought in noga landau who created a couple shows for the cw um have you watched either of her shows uh, i know nancy drew was one which i didn't watch what was the other one tom swift no the the other executive producer the other executive producer is guy violo she actually created this kind of thriller show on amazon not really a, a YA show. She wrote the pilot, apparently. Well, you know who else is in that writer's room? This is an exciting piece of news. Tawny Newsom. Yeah, that wasn't part of the release, but she just kind of outed herself as part of the writers from Lower Decks to uh, Starfleet Academy. Yeah, Mike McMahon tweeted that he knew about it for a while and he was keeping it under wraps. But I mean, I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who are thinking, is this aim towards me it's clearly trying to get a younger demo but i feel like this is going to get people interested the star trek fans who might be less interested in a show like this will be interested because of her yeah we we don't really know much about what the show is going to be but if all indications from the announcement is that it's going to be aimed at a YA audience the recruitment message asked for starfleet recruits as young as 16 so this could have elements of a high school drama kind of thing. So you know, we probably should expect all of that kind of stuff, including the romances and tensions of teen drama that may or may not be appealing to all Star Trek fans. But the goal of this show and of the Star Trek universe in general is to create shows that have a different focus, including audience focus. And so this may not be for everyone. But then again, when Prodigy was first announced, I thought, I'm not sure this is going to be for me. And it ended up being for me in a huge way. And you, too. Me, big time. Yeah, I'm derangedly obsessed with it. But <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's some good descriptions that I find interesting because um, they talk about that the coursework will be rigorous. The instructors among the brightest lights in their respective fields and those accepted will live and study side by side with the most diverse population of students ever admitted. 
So I think what I'm excited about is um, aliens. It's the 32nd century, especially. So who knows? You know, Cardassians and Ferengi and. Yeah. New species, old species. I mean, there's so many opportunities. Is it going to be a group, a core group of humans and then lots of aliens in the background, maybe with one main alien character, a la Saru? Let's hope not. I'm going to guess more than one. I, it won't be a lot for practical reasons if makeup is extensive, but right. there will be, I think, more than one. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. There's no imagery except for this little card that says, you know, admission now open to Starfleet Academy. And then, you know, in the email from Paramount, they're like, this is not the title treatment. So it's just a little thing they put out for social media, really. Right. The Starfleet universe is expanding. That's kind of the key here is this is the first new show they've announced since Strange New Worlds two years ago. Also, you know, with all the pessimism that's been going around, we also now know about new seasons of other shows. We know that Lower Decks has been renewed. We know that Strange New Worlds, which we knew had been renewed, but now they're officially, officially saying it. And they gave us a premiere date for the next season, which is June 15th. And Lower Decks is late summer, and they confirmed that Prodigy is, the season two will be in the winter, uh, the first 10 episodes, I assume. So that's four shows this year, um, including Picard, and next year four shows, because you got Discovery and presumably another season of Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and the rest of season two for Prodigy. The Academy show they're saying won't even go into production until 2024. So it wouldn't show up until 2025. But it's good to know that, that things are still happening. The wheels are turning. Shows are coming. It's not going to just drip, you know, dwindle away until there's nothing left. It's now two live action shows essentially for the future, which is strange new worlds and Academy and two animated shows. And that'll take us through 2022 or maybe 2025. So the question marks now are about what else, if anything else? Well, how perfect that you asked that question. <laughs> because our <laughs> next news item is about an interview Alex Kurtzman gave to SFX Magazine, where he talked about where Star Trek could be going next. One of the things he said, he said they're still excited about the Section 31 project, whatever that's going to be. And he also talked about what he referred to as event series, which is Hollywood talk for miniseries and two hour single events. What does that sound like to you, people? <laughs> <laughs> A TV movie, perhaps. And being character focused. And we've been saying we think that's what's going to happen with the Section 31 project, which has yet to be announced. But work has been going on on that. For years. Yeah. <laughs> We were expecting this big announcement of new stuff on First Contact Day, which is next week. So maybe that's the last shoe to drop. Maybe. I've been trying to figure out why they've been giving us all this news ahead of time. So, I mean, either it's because they have some cool stuff to show us on First Contact Day, or they're saving a big announcement, or they're not doing anything. <laughs> well, I I think we're going to get trailers, at least, for Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, like a teaser trailer for both, you know, and probably posters for both, you know, teaser posters. There'll be a Star Trek IV homage, I'm sure, for the Lower Decks one. 
right? <laughs> right. So my prediction next week is trailers for those. Some, you know, maybe something for Discovery. There really isn't anything to do for Academy because you know there's no casting or you know the unless they're holding some piece of information about it, like Mary Wiseman's going to come out. Maybe. Um, a little more from Alex's interview, which was that uh, he was asked about a movie with the Picard character, since all the actors keep saying, oh, I'd love to do a movie. Let's do a movie. Um, he said, anything's possible. We talk about it all the time, which is kind of the same no answer answer that we've been used to. You know, the season three Picard characters. Yeah, it was specifically that. Which would I don't include think next anyone... generation characters. Yes. I don't think anyone's demanding the season one characters show up. I'd like to know what's going on with, you know, Gerardi and, and, and Rios and the gang. Sure. It, last week, we, we briefly talked about this concept called Star Trek Legacy. This kind of became a thing in the last week. Um, the hashtag is growing. They talked about it on The View with LeVar Burton and Todd Stashwick talked about it on TV. And Terry and other, you know, people on the show are kind of hyping it on social media. There's a... a Petition going, which has got like 14,000 signatures, which, you know, I don't know if that's a lot, but the the one for Strange New Worlds got 30,000 by the time it was uh, given a green light. Not that that was the reason why it was, but I don't think we're going to hear anything about that on First Contact Day. I don't think they're ready to determine what that is because there's so many, you know, there's talk of something on the Titan that would re that would star seven. And then there are talks of, oh, well, we're going to focus on the next generation like Jack and Alander and Sydney. And will those things all tie together? Or maybe we'll get some data store. I mean, they could do anything really with any of the characters at this point. Right. I mean, they could do a standalone movie, which focusing just on Seven and Rafi, you know, and then that acts as a backdoor pilot, you know, for the legacy show. Who knows? But there's no work happening on this legacy show. It's more a concept now than because you know, these these things that Paramount is announcing, it, they're announcing things that work has been going on for a while. You know, the, the Mike McMahon said that they'd already been working on uh, season five, writing on season five. We know that pre-production has already started on Strange New World. So and even on the Academy show, we know the, the writer's room has been going for a while. So, right. you know, they they aren't announcing things before they get started. But in the in the case of Legacy, I'm almost certain nothing is actually happening. Right. Just everybody wants it. I mean, I would recommend watching um, the clip from The View with LeVar and Mika, his daughter, Alandra, because it's just it's so I love seeing these people on the mainstream on mainstream shows. It's you know, I'm it's obviously more fun if they're talking to Will Wheaton on the ready room because he knows what he's talking about. And the people on The View, except for Whoopi Goldberg, really have no idea what they're talking about when they're reading <laughs> their their cards. Um, <laughs> but it is so it's, it's an exciting time to see Jerry Ryan on mainstream TV and Todd Stashwick and all these people talking about Star Trek and everybody's asking them about, will there be another show, which I'm sure the guests are saying, please ask me if you think there's going to be another show, <laughs> Right. but it's a hopeful time. Yeah. I mean, you know, even with the belt tightening of the new streaming era, Paramount is still committed to making more original Star Trek content for years to come. 2022 with five seasons 
in one year is probably a high watermark, but it's almost an anomaly because of 2021 was coming out of the pandemic and there was just kind of a backlog. Right. It, It was almost an accident, really. I think, you know, releasing four seasons of Star Trek a year is a lot. Yeah, gives us a lot to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Personally, I don't like two episodes of Star Trek in the same week. No, I agree with you. I'd rather have them more spread out. They're doing this just for us, Lori and I, to make our lives easier. Yeah, to make the <laughs> podcast reviewing and all the other podcasters out there. They're just making it easier for all of us. One big happy family. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about some Picard news before we get into the review. We also have a great interview on the site this week. Uh, Jeff Bond talked to the two composers who do Star Trek Picard. And if you are a music fan, I think you really need to take some time to read this very in-depth interview. They needed two composers because there's just so much music. I mean, that you don't think about it when you're watching it, but the, the sheer volume of music in the season is more than any other season of any Star Trek ever. Almost every scene has some kind of music in it. Terry brought in his guy from 12 Monkeys and then uh, Stephen Barton. And then they brought in this guy, Frederick Weedman. They both kind of became music archaeologists of of Star Trek music, uh, you know, going into the archives and learning how certain things were made so that they can pay homage to them. And if you like music, especially the details, Jeff Bond literally wrote the book on Star Trek music. I could have never done an interview like this. Jeff is really great at this kind of stuff. So read that. There's some hints about what's coming, some details about the soundtrack, which was just announced. That's going to be released on the day of the finale, April 20th. And they're doing a two album vinyl edition in May, which is pretty cool looking. Yeah, it looks really cool. If you still have a record. I mean, vinyl's coming back. What's weird is vinyl's back. CDs are, are dead. They're not doing a CD release. They're doing digital and vinyl. That's kind of the new thing. Well, it makes sense. I mean, look, I have teenagers. My 15-year-old begged for a record player for Christmas and a Taylor Swift record on vinyl. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Before we get into the episode, uh, last week we, you know, we started kind of getting into some of the Easter eggs. We did an article really looking at Daystrom and the um, museum, and there's all sorts of stuff in there um, that... blink and you miss it i kind of feel bad like there's all this stuff in jordy's office that you literally didn't see yeah you see it in a publicity photo but you don't see it and it was such a big deal like that when lavar saw it he was thrilled and went up to dave blast to kiss him because he thought it was so great and then we don't get to see it and so I mean, again, we've talked about how the gut, the production designers are sharing a lot of stuff on social, which is great because they also posted a bunch of stuff that we didn't see on screen from Daystrom. And then Dave Blass put out a a tweet detailing all the ships. So we caught most of them in our Easter egg, but there's some stuff in there we wouldn't even know because there's no way to tell. But there's names for all the ships. One of the ships at the museum is called the um, USS Wershing after Annie, which was sweet. Very nice. Still nothing about what's in Hangar 12, though. Something's in there. For sure something's in there. The last episode, there's kind of two prevailing fan theories that have emerged from the last episode. One is the zombie Kirk theory, right? They're going to bring Kirk <laughs> back from the dead. I'm terrified <laughs> they're going to bring Kirk back from the dead. <laughs> I just don't see it happening. Uh, but I do think that there's something in Hangar 12, and it's probably 
Nostalgic. Very nostalgic. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know that in last episode, as you said, all the networked computers and blah, 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 that, you know, that the fleet is going to be disabled or taken over or something. They're going to need old ships. And, and we like old ships. There's another theory that they're going to take the whole, like the whole museum is going to become a fleet and everyone's going to get their own ship. Like, so seven gets the Voyager and Jack gets the, the old constitution class and you know, Worf gets the Klingon bird of prey. And it's going to be this like crazy ragtag fleet. And that sounds really fun. It does. It, I love the idea, but it's just too much and it's expensive I, and all that kind of stuff. I know it's expensive. I think I would forgive the too much because it would be so much fun. And that it would be one of those things that while you're watching, you're going, this is cheesy. They shouldn't. This is so great. So but they'd have I, to build like seven bridge sets and, you know, it's just impossible. I know, I know, but a girl can dream. And of course, Zombie Kirk will be flying the <laughs> yeah, no, one of the, want, the Enterprise A. Want, listen, I don't want Zombie Kirk. I don't want other Kirk. I just leave Kirk alone. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Dominion. All right, what is your overview of Dominion? It's a solid first part of a two-parter is how it feels to me. I mean, there's some amazing performances. There's a lot of exposition. It's funny. You learn a lot, except for the one thing they keep on teasing you, which is what's up with Jack. So we learn a little bit about Jack, but we just kind of don't really know really what's up with Jack. Um, they kind of put out some red herrings, which I don't think makes sense. You know, so I enjoyed it. But when you get to the end of it, this is the first time that I felt all season where I'm like, this just wasn't a complete meal. You know, it was satisfying, but I want more immediately. Whereas like episode three was kind of a two-parter with episode four, the kind of submarine movie, but it still felt more complete to me. So I'm going to say pretty good, just good. It's just good. <laughs> well, and that's a good place for us to be. If just good is like one of the lowest ratings. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly not hasn't, bad. There hasn't been a, a clunker yet. It's better than fair. It's just, <laughs> you know. I it's feel like simply I'm looking at a report card. Good. I would agree. It did feel like part one of a two-parter. I, I think I liked it better than you did. I would say a strong part one of a two-parter. I was so thrilled and surprised and thank goodness there's still a surprise that nobody talked about seeing Tim Russ. Uh, yeah, fantastic. I don't like having all these things spoiled for me. Right. Like if if they put him in a trailer like they did with Moriarty. Yeah, because that opening scene, bam, there he is. Yes, right. And it away. was like, oh, my God, it's 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 Tuvok. And, and he's talking to Seven, and those two always had a very strong bond and a great relationship. So I thought that was fantastic. And I do think that some of the emotional character stuff they did, especially like Jordy and Data slash Lore, is the best work I've seen those two do together. I just enjoyed it so much. It was so rich and so real. As I said, great performances. This is Amanda Plummer's best episode by far. And I do like how they got her on the ship interacting with Beverly and Picard, you know, because famously in Star Trek II, Kirk and Khan are never in the same room together. Right. So it's good to get your villains together with your heroes. This episode definitely, you know, it explored the dark side of the Federation and the dark side of Beverly and John Luke. 
um, yes. where th they started questioning their own morality. It got into some gray areas. So good character stuff, but it was a bottle show. It was disappointing that we didn't pick up on the Riker and Troy thing. Fake Riker got a weird cameo. You know, yeah, zombie Riker. <laughs> zombie Riker. <laughs> um, no, DN, like, because at the, you know, they end, it's, I don't know. I just feel like you can't end on a Riker Troy cliffhanger and then just leave that for a whole episode. I felt like that's why I was so anxious to watch the next one was specifically because because I needed to know. I was like, I want to know what's happening with them. And while I was dying to know what was going on with them, I still think that to keep the mood they wanted, I can see why they stayed on the Titan. And no Worf and Rafi. I know. Same re I feel like it was the same reason, but it's a, a tough juggling act, man. I don't know what I would have done, how to get those in there. I wanted them in there. And that I think that's why it feels like part one. Yeah. yeah. As I understand it, episodes nine and 10 are kind of a themselves, a kind of standalone movie almost. So these are also kind of their own standalone thing of, you know, because we end with Vatican control of the ship. Right. So right. We, one can only assume um, they're going to get it back in the next episode. <laughs> She's not just going <laughs> to kill everybody and take Jack. Yeah, and now she is the captain of the so the the new spinoff series with v Captain Vatic. I mean, it's certainly, I felt like the whole episode kept me on edge because even when they got her and her weird clicky, clickety masked bird friends, um, <laughs> <laughs> it still felt incredibly threatening and dangerous. Like I was like, I don't trust these. Even before things started to go awry. I was like, I don't trust these shields. This I would have maybe flooded the area with some kind of something to try and knock them out. Like, just the whole thing was so scary. It was effectively threatening and scary throughout. You didn't feel like, oh, good, she's trapped. Right. As noted by Beverly, she's like, she's too calm. She's got a plan. She's going to get out of this. Right. Now, the question is, did she have a plan? Because she only got out of the trap because Laura took over the ship and decided to mess with everyone. Right. There was a theory before that Laura was somehow working with these changelings and was involved. One could see this as evidence that Laura was. But I think the way they played it is it was just an opportunity. Laura took over the body and was just messing with everyone, causing yeah, chaos. Enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Yeah, but I, they weren't, I don't think they were coordinating or communicating. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't see that. I think, I don't know if he had a plan to get off the ship. I'm sure he would have made friends with them and gotten them to take him away. <laughs> made but, friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I doubt Vatic knows that Lore was helping her. Right. I agree. That was lucky coincidence. Which is a hell of a big coincidence. This was a huge episode for Vatic. This was kind of the, are you going to feel any sympathy for this villain episode, I feel like. Yep. The first thing is, we, I think, definitively now know that her boss, which I guess we're just going to continue calling him the face, because yep. we don't, is not a changeling. Right, because he said things like, you're kind. Yeah, and the way he was manipulating her, she's terrified yep. of this guy. It's hard to tell, but from wherever he is, he could manipulate her. He could, you know, cause her pain. This being is very powerful and very scary. And 
somehow has his thumb on her and maybe all the changelings. The other thing is we found out why she looks the way she looks and why all of the changelings are, as you've been calling them, like prosciutto or what's your thing? Liquid prosciutto. Yeah. And that she was tortured, I guess, during the Dominion War? I guess it was during the war to make the virus? Is that what it was? I, I don't think it was related to the virus. She said it was Project Proteus was about taking changelings and turning them into weapons into spies. So, you know, it was kind of ill-conceived plan, right? Because uh, <laughs> they were just torturing them. Like, I'm, I'm not sure where the part where you could get them to work for you started. Uh, right. Because you know, there was no mind control or anything. They were just kind of zapping them and lighting them on fire and sticking things into them. But she, the person who was doing these experiments was Amanda Plummer, not right. Amanda, you know, and she took her form and we're supposed to feel sorry for her. And we do, right? Because that was not very nice. No, it raises a lot of questions for me. Like who if, was that? Is that Starfleet? Is that Section 31? Who's doing it? It's terrible. It's so against everything that Starfleet stands for. Well, that Daystrom Station is part of Starfleet. It is abs it is at, you know, official as it gets. They house Section 31. So that this is this show has basically said Section 31, Starfleet, it's all the same. I know. And it's that's problematic for me. Me too. But let's not, you know, we've we've kind of harped on that. So let's just go with that. Section 31 may be rogue, but they are part of it. And so, she, yeah, she probably was Section 31 and they had a plan to create these weapons. It backfired. And therefore, she is different than other changelings. And she can, she has the power to change a changeling into like her, where you can mimic the blood and all that. Right. But it, but it causes pain. It does make you feel sympathetic to an extent. I mean, not in terms of, of what she's doing and how she's treating everybody, but sympathetic that she was horrifically tortured by callous, awful people. And John Luke Picard's I didn't know did kind of, you know, that was kind of pointless, you know, like. Well, I don't think it's pointless. What makes you think it's pointless? Well, from her perspective, I'm saying, you know, that. Uh, he was part of Starfleet, therefore he's part of the system that created this. The thing we don't know, which I wish the show kind of explored to an extent, is what exactly was the USS Enterprise and Picard doing during the Dominion War? That's a kind of a blank page, and it was the flagship. What this episode makes fairly clear, because at the beginning of the season, we, we, we thought Vatic has a thing against John Luke Picard. But do you think there's any connection here? It doesn't seem like... I didn't feel like she had a thing against John Luke Picard. You know, in episode one, or whenever she was introduced, you you got the sense that she knew who he was and that her desire to get to Jack was somehow personal. It now seems like it is in no... She doesn't even want Jack. Jack the face wants Jack. She just hates Starfleet, and he's part of Starfleet, but she doesn't hate... She does. She wasn't targeting Picard. Right. She doesn't care about Picard, really. Right. He's just, you know, she would hate whoever was yeah. in his position. Yes, I agree so this, with that. This isn't Wrath of Khan. No, no, her vengeance isn't against a specific person. Exactly. And Vatic did rightly point out 
because John looks at her like, well, we gave you guys the um, the cure. And she's like, well, no, you really. didn't. Yeah, no, you did not. <laughs> <laughs> that can get glossed over, but Starfleet did decide not to give them the cure. Starfleet didn't condone the creation of the virus, but once the cure was found, they they weren't up for it being delivered. Odo did that totally on his own. Yep. And it worked. It ended the war. Right. So this they are exploring those gray areas of Starfleet and 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 these characters. I mean, Beverly and John Luke are like, well, you know, uh, we're losing our compass. You know, the Hippocratic Oath. No, they've got a couple of big moral quandaries. I mean, here's the thing: if they weren't talking about doing a Section Thirty One show, I would hope that this that Picard would the show would put an end to section 31 at the end would say we have to stop this it's gone in a terrible direction it's over you know like to me that would be the logical conclusion because not only to have they learned about the horrible things that were done but look at their own consciences their own moral compasses as beverly said are now in question because now they're consider you know they considered obviously they were considering just killing vatic and then beverly's talking about some form of you know, biological weapon, like one thing to say it's, we could detect them, but saying maybe it is something that we use to harm them. And then Picard kind of says, we'll figure that out if it comes up later, which (laughs) seemed a little unlike him. This is a kind of a season finale question of, is the solution to this just kill all the changelings that want revenge? Or do they try to make peace with the final ones that remain? You know, maybe make peace with Vatic, maybe find a way to another way. I mean, that the that's the thing. Like, Picard is the kind of guy who would always want to try to find another way. But here he's yeah. like, we should kill our prisoner. That was kind of, wow. Yeah. Kept, that was a bit surprised. But she, again, thanks to Lore, got away. So we didn't see him kill a prisoner, but he was about to do it. Yeah, I felt like that was about to happen. And I And again, it's not, I get it because... You know, Beverly said, like, we invited death as soon as we brought her in here. And yes, they know she is going to kill. She is definitely not someone that they can trust to turn around. I mean, they laid the most obvious trap in the world, right? But Vatic fell into it, I guess. Right. Uh, So. That was a good trap until uh, Jack and Sydney got stuck between the two. The two other traps. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about Jack and Sydney. I mean, the Jack story here is very interesting. I mean, they're definitely building up the romance between yeah, these first two. First of all, they like like each other. Oh yeah, <laughs> big time when he's inviting her to his cracking quarters. Um, <laughs> how big are your quarters? I got some nice ones. Want to come see them? So. <laughs> But they also used that their budding romance to explore Jack's evolution. At first, I mean, like for a moment when you could start hearing her thoughts, I immediately thought, oh, my God, are they doing that thing like in uh, Superman, the movie, when you could hear (laughs) Lois Lane? (laughs) Can you read my mind? Yeah. (laughs) That was like the only lame part of that entire glorious film. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, my God, please not... (laughs) be doing that i love that you that it made you think of that um but it it was you know that he literally was reading her mind um which kind of freaked her out as well 
yeah, that's his, he's telepathic. There is more than that because he was able to somehow control her body to do what his was doing when during the fight scene. That's a new ability. We're going to have to make a list. A nice little collective, one might say. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one of two and two of two. Can she see when his eyes glow red, by the way? That's, I was wondering, can anybody see when his eyes glow red? I was like, is that something that we, the viewers, notice only? Or is that something that anybody can see? And then her eyes glowed red, so. I did like how him being weird was freaking her out, that she was rightfully freaked out in the turbo lift and then later after even after he helped her in the fight that she pulled a phaser on him because she's like there's something weird about you and i don't know if i trust it yet well because he did something to her what did you yeah. do to me like he took over and that is a really scary thing even though it worked out great it's a scary thing to think that someone can completely control you so do you think that they will be like a full-on couple by the finale? I mean, we've got oh, three more sure. episodes. Yeah. Well, if they're not a full-on couple, then we'll see the beginnings of what is definitely going to be a full-on couple. I think we'll get a nice big romantic kiss before the season's done. While the proud parents either catch them or make fun of them or they stop before they arrive or something like that. Maybe, maybe that'll be the thing of like Jordy, you know, gives him the pat on the back, you know. Right. Because he okay. does something heroic or something like that. Well, because people aren't trying to kill him anymore. Giving Jordy the benefit of the doubt on that one. <laughs> but getting into the Vatic side of this. So Vatic made it clear when they said, why do you want my son? And she said, he's not for me. She also said to Bev, he was never really for you either. But that's the important part. And she said, what about your son? Do you know all about his physiology? And I was like, oh, so what is, so the question is, what does Beverly know more than she's saying or not? The, it, the only thing that makes sense is yes, you know, which would be kind of disappointing, but it was certainly implied that there's something about Jack that she knows that she's not telling anyone um, that makes him not for her. I mean, when Vatic, her final line is, I want to bring Jack Crusher where he most belongs. But when right. she sees him and she says something similar for the first time of like, I want to take you somewhere. He says, where he says, I just need to show you. So they don't want to hurt Jack. I mean, there, there's some place he belongs with people of his kind, I'm guessing mm -hmm. or related to him in some way. You know, we've been saying the Borg, but who knows? It's probably something far more complicated than that, to be honest. But if Beverly knows and isn't telling anybody, that's really lame. I'm going to be upset. I mean, I feel like he's genetically their son. It's not like she found him and claimed him as her son. I think she, he is and then genuinely. pretended he was Jean-Luc's son. And then, yeah. yeah. No, none of that would make sense. So it's either that she, there are so many possibilities. He was sick and she did something to save him that altered his genetics. I don't know. But I just feel like our Bev would say something. Now would be the time to speak up. Well, this Beverly is willing to dabble in, you know, bioweapons, uh, throw out the Hippocratic Oath. You know, in the episode one, the first thing she did was vaporize one of these changelings. So she's not the same old Bev. Um, and maybe that's been the case for a long time. And Jack, in fact, told Picard that 
He's like, you know, I may be a criminal, but she's she was there the, the whole time. Right. Who do you think taught me how to be a criminal? It was her. I mean, they never said this, but why isn't Beverly want a wanted criminal across the I galaxy? Know, well, a, there are a hundred times that I think, why don't they want to talk to Beverly? Shouldn't everybody want to talk to Beverly? So, <laughs> you know, getting back to issues I've had in the past with this show. Although I will say, like, at first, when Jack went to Jean-Luc and said, you know, I should turn myself in and all this stuff. At first, I was thinking, why wouldn't he talk to both of them? And then I realized, oh, well, no, now that makes sense. He would only talk to Jean-Luc because if he says to his mother, you know, I should just turn myself in, she's going to say no. So I think he was hoping for a more tactical response from Jean-Luc versus a fatherly response. Yeah, Picard did some good fathering in this one. When Jack goes to him and is basically like, I'm losing my mind, I'm feeling guilty, I should hand myself in, trade myself for Riker. He's like, I'm not going to give up on you, you know, and he was very nice and, you know, he was being a good dad. Yep. So he's getting the hang of it, as it were. (laughs) And and they had the and they didn't have the conversation in 10 forward. I know that was so good. I was so happy to not (laughs) see 10 forward. (laughs) So the best part of the episode not using 10 forward for one week. <laughs> well, it's a little extreme, but I know what you mean. I definitely want to talk about Jordy and Data slash Lore because the intensity of Jordy just begging him and begging him and trying to save us. I mean, I was so emotionally moved by that. And then actually go, going back even further, like when Data keeps switching and then he's Data and Lore. First of all, I was wondering, like, did they have to run some of that dialogue past Patrick Stewart first when he has to say, you know, you look so old. (laughs) Your hideous weighty, what does he say? Hold on, I have it here Your ancient face or something like that. My utter revulsion at your ancient face. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) geez, I hope someone like had a chat with Patrick before that happened. But I thought the acting from Brent Spiner was amazing. Having to switch in mid-sentence was incredible and i felt like he was a hundred percent each character every time yeah and it was obvious just looking at his face yeah Yeah. so they got rid of the before it was supposed to be like there's all these personalities in him and then they kind of narrowed it down well there's really only two right (laughs) so lol isn't really there anymore i guess and Sung is a memory file and B4 is a memory file. Right. It's all lore and data. It was one of those oversimplified things of lore is on the left side of the brain and data is on the right side of the brain. Right. Yes. Or was it the other way around? I forget. Whatever they are. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, this is why they said Brent Spiner is playing lore this season. You know, he really was lore for most of this episode. Yeah. And it was the same old lore. Causing chaos, as Jordy said. There was that, you know, those moments when you could see him struggling to hold on to lore because Jordy was getting through. Yeah. He just, he did a beautiful job. I couldn't decide. I kept trying to pick an MVP for the episode and I was torn between the two of them. Well, maybe he had the harder job, but I mean, LeVar has never done this as Jordy before. I know. It was so beautiful to watch. He did such a good job. I was weeping. I mean, he was incredible, I thought. They're giving him a chance to act in ways that he's never done on Star Trek before. And he's doing a great job. And it was so human. 
and heartbreaking, really. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, that the, they decided to slow things down for an episode and give some of their actors and their characters time to do stuff, you know, and, you know, it's a bottle show. They were saving money probably for the season finale. But one smart thing they did is, and we've talked about this in some previous episodes, but this is probably some of the best use of the editing between scenes where things are happening in different places, but they're all together. Connected. Yes. Yes. It's all part of the same story. So what was happening in sick bay and then in engineering and then with the kids in the corridor, we're all connected. And the way it flipped back and forth between those, you really had a great, some great pacing here that created a lot of great action. Yeah. That's part of why I enjoyed it so much. I also thought they added such a great cool new element again another another new i think this is new tech for them but the compromised prefix code yeah i, 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 I mean, think that's have we, new. have we not heard that before i, mean, I it's think just... that's new and that's the idea that you could actually send over something that would let you know that the captain has been compromised and i was like that is clever and practical it's good for story it's good within the universe and, you know, it reminded me of the transporter inhibitors again, like just a really, really good idea. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that in something. Maybe it's not Star Trek, but it was in something. But yeah, so it's funny, like the, there are characters doing things, you know, that was Riker. So Riker gave the compromise code, um, but we just didn't see Riker. You know, Janeway's a character. We just don't see Janeway. Well, Riker and Troy did get a little shout out from Vatic. <laughs> when, yeah. she, <laughs> when she said that she wasn't getting anything out of them, that they were more loyal than she expected them to be. Yeah, but the face wasn't having any. I mean, you got the sense <laughs> that because the face said, you know, do what you got to do. So I have a feeling that Riker, someone got tortured a bit. Oh, I think so for sure. Yeah. Which is why they gave up the code because apparently the code did still tell them where the Titan was. Right. It's not supposed. It's not supposed to. <laughs> no, they, right. Well, they tried to block it, but I get the sense that, because how else did they find the Titan in that, you know, in the, because they moved the Titan to where they found them. Right. With the Vulcan ship, because it was first in the, you know, for your DS9 fans, you probably recognized they started the episode. They were in the Chintaka scrapyard, which is the location of two big battles during the Dominion War, including one where the original Defiant was destroyed. So major, major battles. And now it's a scrapyard, which makes sense. Right. So we got a couple of other plot points in here that I thought were interesting, if we're ready to shift a little, which is one, I don't think that they are correct that the changelings or whoever wants Jack's blood to build a fake Picard. I think that is a red herring. You've got... Picard's body, which includes DNA, right? Any body includes DNA. I mean, I guess what they're implying is you need the dead body and some fresh blood of a relative to create a fake Picard. And why would they need a fake Picard for Frontier Day? To get in because they want to smuggle, they want to get a fake Picard in there on Frontier Day. But they, they have control of like half of Starfleet, apparently. Why do they need Picard, you know, retired admiral? I don't know. So, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a Bit of a red herring. Data actually did give the, before Lore took over. There was a brief moment when they turned Data on, where Data said that the 
Irmotic syndrome diagnosis was incorrect. He said it was in question. And he said there's an anomalous form within Jean-Luc Picard, meaning within the remains. So I think that's a thing. Yep, I do too. Again, this is the you know first part of a two-parter. I'm sure it gets explained in part two, but that was definitely important. Another, you know, so it may just be Tuvok, but they made it clear that Tuvok's still alive. Uh, fake Tuvok has, you know, they got information out of Tuvok so that the fake Tuvok can pretend, but then Seven worked it out. Right. Because she remembered the Vinculum episode. <laughs> <laughs> so there's prisoners, you know, Tuvok, the real Tuvok's out there to be yeah. freed. Being tortured, it sounds like. Unfortunately, real side-eye guy was is is dead because we saw his body. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's probably lots of them. You know, yep. it's just like in DS9, there was that prison um, in the Gamma Quadrant they went to break yeah. everyone out of. I don't know if that, you know, I have a sense that that'll probably play a part in the finale. I know. Well, again, like as much as we were talking about where they all the ships, everybody gets a ship. Now I'm picturing we go to some prison. It's like, you know, 25 characters that we miss from Next Generation Enterprise, Voyager. And I guess Enterprise wouldn't make sense. But Next Generation, Voyager and Deep Space Nine. There's like a ton of them. <laughs> there was a nice little detail I liked. You know, the issues here is Data died twice and Data wanted to die. <laughs> Right. Like, well, first he sacrificed himself. Then the second data who was stuck in the box just wanted to die. And they're making it clear that this data is basically waking up, missing the last 20 years, in, including the end of um, Star Trek Nemesis. He left for popcorn in act two. Right. Because he's because he wakes up and he says, Captain, what happened to the scimitar? So he right. doesn't know anything. So he's kind of. A whole new data, I guess. I know, but I still, you know, it made me, I, I don't know why I tortured myself like this, but I decided to go back and watch Data's death scene from Picard season one. And it does just kind of strip away whatever meaning that was supposed to have. It does. He said, mortality gives meaning to human life. You know, and peace, love, and friendship are precious because we know they can't endure. And he talks about this whole thing and then asks to die, which I didn't even understand the first time I watched it. Like, well, is he there? He's, I don't understand how they're, in what way he's alive and how they made him die, whatever. But then it's all kind of rendered meaningless with this anyway. Well, that, that data was living alone in a virtual construct, which means he wasn't even dealing with people in real time. So from his perspective, you know, just like in First Contact, when he talked about how a few seconds was an eternity for an android, he was, you know, he was there for an eternity and it was, he was done, which is why I liked when this data woke up. He's like, what happened to the scimitar? They're like, this, this data didn't experience that. This is a whole new thing. I know. I just, for me, it was, I, I, the, I'll just focus on where we are now and say that I'm liking this story. How about that? Instead okay. of dwelling on why I really didn't like the other story. Okay, so here's a here's a kind of a crazy theory, perhaps, is when Shaw came stumbling out of the elevator. Well, first I thought we were going to get one of those classic things where there was going to be two Shaws that come out of the elevator. Right. 
Right. The and you have to phase. decide which one. No, it's him. No, it's him. But you're like, is that really Shaw? He was in an elevator with some changelings. Maybe something happened. Maybe it's huh. not Shaw anymore. I didn't even think of that. I mean, it's probably him, but. I mean, I saw a lot of very interesting theories on Twitter that I liked where people were saying maybe Troy wasn't Troy. Like when she said, oh, well, that that could be a changeling, which would definitely be way easier than going, finding Troy and getting her. So I thought that was an interesting theory. But now this is, you know, changelings kind of make it a free for all for anybody could be anybody. Yeah. I mean, now that, well, Beverly has her new tracking thing. So they will, you know, it was it polonium. So they'll be able to figure out who's right. a changeling and who's right. not a changeling. But you know, they're not holding tricorders on the bridge. So in watching the next episode, I'm going to keep an eye on Shaw and see, like, is he, which team is he playing for? Right. Poor Shaw. I mean, if that's him, the guy just has really been beaten up, (laughs) broken, bloodied, everything. (laughs) So if he's still mad at them when this is all over, I would understand why. Yeah. I mean, he had his weak plant and it was going to be simple and fine. And these guys definitely screwed it up. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, did we see anyone get killed? Well, it's hard to tell sometimes when there's just shooting. But I don't. I think some of his team got killed in a firefight. Yes. But, you know, by the way, why? Because he had some security people with him. Why? We know why. But if Jack is going to be the center of a trap, sure, he's, you know, Jack and he can do stuff. But why have the pilot of the ship be part of this, you know, elaborate firefight trap? It's because we want to see those two characters together. So we're just going to allow it. But well, and it's part of this thing of there are a lot of people there. You know, we know a lot of people left the ship. So when I first saw that, I thought, oh, they're really down to almost nobody. But then you see Shaw and some randos and I go, "Okay, well, there's still some randos. We still got randos. So it did seem weird that she was involved in that. You're right. Except for again. And it's look, it's an ongoing thing with this show, which is they know what they want and they just put the people there. And it did look, it did make for great scenes. I get so torn over these things because I go, well, it was great to watch. It was compelling. It was emotional. The stakes were very high because of it. So I know why they would do that story-wise, but then it's just, there isn't always a great in-universe explanation. We finally got one of the changelings saying something besides Vatic. Not in the, he said something in English. One of the guys, he threatened Jack, you know, that he was going to kill Sydney. Right. So that was the first time they got a line. Oh, so far, it's all been clicks and stuff Clickety like click. that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's one thing that's kind of been missing is I wish... Vatic had a right hand changeling that she had dialogue with and could and, have a proper discussion with. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Not clickety click, you know, more <laughs> real discussions and you can get into her character a little bit more. And I also does. She has a lot of information as just because she also knows about Wesley. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. So I, I'm, you know, also, I mean, how does everybody know that it's Picard's son? But anyway, <laughs> Except him. Except Picard, the last to know. Everybody else knew. But I thought it was interesting that she knew about Wesley, and then I started thinking about Wesley and wondering if he'd visited his mom at any point in her life. I hope so. 
she talks about Wesley as if he's essentially as good as dead, you know, that she lost. Yeah, she said she's lost her son. So, and it, he is, he's dead. But he her, came you know, to see Corey. So you'd think he could spare like two minutes to check in on Bev. Time is meaningless to him as a traveler, yada, yada, mm. you know, mm. he, he should, he should have dropped by to meet his brother um, yeah. for sure. You know, and that's the thing, like, what's he doing during all of this? Right. I guess he's busy with traveler stuff. Right. With stuff they're not so they're not following the day to day. I mean, if Q wasn't dead, you'd be wondering, you know, why doesn't he pop in and right. give these guys a hand? Uh, <laughs> he doesn't like his little pets being mistreated like this. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he's dead. Sad. Sad. Is there anything we've missed? I mean, there were a few things if we're going to be a little bit nitpicky. So the conversation with Tuvok, which I loved for the emotional beats and hearing the banter was fun, but I felt like there were two things going on that were confusing to me. Like one, Seven kind of tipped their hand and was like, in Rose secret files, blah, 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 where they still didn't know if he was the real Tuvok or not. And then I felt like they were doing a lot of communicating back and forth about whether it was the real Tuvok, but I felt like I was confused by what messages they were sending to each other because it seemed like she was saying, yeah, it's him. No, it isn't. I don't know. So that was a little confusing. And <laughs> and then the whole thing about the anti-colonar demonstration. I was like, why would anybody have an anti-colonar demonstration? I don't like those people going through their ritual over there, their secret private ritual that they do by themselves. I don't like it. I'm going to protest. And then why would you ever go somewhere? People, pro It just was a weird, I felt like it was just a reason to throw in the word colonar. Yeah, I mean it kind of doesn't matter. You know, he, he, she gave him a test and he didn't pass it, but yeah, it, it doesn't make that much sense. The stuff about Calto and stuff like that did kind of fit. That one didn't. Right. But I, I thought Tim was great in the way he yeah. switched straight from Tuvok to evil Tuvok. He's so good. And started doing some monologuing, evil monologuing. These changelings, they, they really like yeah. a good, they're very Shakespearean, those changelings. They are. But I did like in the moment when we thought it was him, that wasn't, I mean, I, I, I just want to go and watch that moment and not see what happens next. Because it was so nice to see them talking to each other. And she seemed so happy to see him. I mean, this brings up the question of like, how many changelings are there? Like, is everyone, I mean, if he's on the bridge of a ship, then I guess everyone else is a changeling because mm -hmm. they heard him monologuing. Right. By the way, he must have, retired again because it's he's been had a 20... long career <laughs> he's he's he served in the 23rd century in yeah. the 24th now the 25th and he's only captain come on he should be running the fleet you know instead of janeway who's busy doing planning stuff. a big splashy event which also felt <laughs> off brand <laughs> <laughs> they've mentioned janeway so many times i really don't think she's gonna show up but I also feel like they she should because they're constantly talking about Janeway. But I think what, Terry has explicitly said she's not in it. Yeah, I mean that could be a fake out. I don't think she is, but they they shouldn't keep on talking about her because I think some fans are going to expect her to show up in the finale yeah. because she's in charge of Frontier Day and Frontier Day is where everything is headed. So she's going to be there when right. you know, one Maybe it'll expect. be like a back of her head thing 
but there's still I still think there's cameos to come in yeah. upcoming episodes, just oh, like yeah. this one. Surprise oh, no, cameos. They've, they've got it all set up. There's so many places to do it. Anyway, uh we're we're kind of down a rabbit hole again. I think right. it's time we wrap things up. I still think it was a good episode. I thought the stakes were high, the action was fun, great character stuff. I still really enjoyed it. I said good. I'm sticking with good. <laughs> This is not an argument. (laughs) Well, it is if I say it is. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap up with our bits of the week. So why don't you start? Mine is I'm a fan of classic video games and uh, someone put together something. It's called Super Star Trek meets meets the 25th anniversary. And it's a web version classic TOS game. But then you play Super Star Trek, which is this like super old Star Trek game that you used to be able to play on mainframe computers in the seventies. You could just play it online for free. And even if you never have no nostalgia for these things, I, it's still kind of fun. Is it fun? Yeah. I haven't seen it. It's fun. And it's, you know, it's a way to kind of take a little lesson through history of what it was like to play a video game in 1978. You know, it doesn't have good graph, great graphics. That's kind of the point. This is a text-based game, um, but then they wrap it in a kind of the old bit, 8-bit style of the um, the 25th anniversary game, which was at its time, like the best Star Trek game ever. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's my gaming nerd out for the week. Super Star Trek meets 25th anniversary. A link will be in the show notes. Nice. Mine is super short. It's a quote from a tweet. It's not even the whole tweet from uh, the EP of Prodigy, Aaron Walke, who we've had on the show, who is often listening. Hello, Aaron. Um, uh, he said this, and I was like, this is just the simplest, smartest quote. Starships have always moved at the speed of plot in Star Trek. And I guess there were people discussing like warp drive and how long it takes to get somewhere and all of that. And I thought, you know what? He's right. Starships move at the speed of plot in Star Trek. They always do. You never know how long it's going to take to get somewhere because it's going to take the amount of time they need for the story. This is kind of his him following up on something he said earlier, actually, which is someone was making a comment about Picard. And if you think about some moments, including in the last episode, how fast they were warping back and forth between Daystrom Station and the museum and all that, it just these things don't necessarily make sense. And then he put out a tweet like on prodigy we built something around that which is the proto drive which allows mm-hmm. them to um but then he followed that up to say but that wasn't a dig on picard you know where he was agreeing with this nitpick he's saying all the shows do this and, right um, i just thought it was such a succinct way of saying it it was i feel like i want to have it like printed on a card and pr- i need it on a t-shirt basically i just thought it was just very well said I mean, think about your, you know, your favorite show from a couple decades ago, 24, and you don't live in L.A., but there is nothing oh my, realistic yes. about how they get around L.A. on that show. Even I knew that. And they had a season in New York, too. And I was like, what? But L.A., especially because I have driven in L.A., so I do know what it's like. I mean, I haven't lived there, but I was like, there's no way that you can get anywhere in the amount of time he does it. I just wanted one episode with Jack just, you know, sitting Stuck on the 405. Yes. For, Stuck. For trying, to get a, trying to change lanes to get to the exit, but there's six lanes he has to cross to get to the yeah. exit. So, or also, I mean, on 24, he also, there was a parking space everywhere he ever pulled up to. 
Yeah, it's not LA. Anyway. It's an alternate universe. Um, okay, so that's it for our 134th episode of All Access Star Trek. Wow. Three more episodes of Star Trek Picard to review. Cool. See you guys in April. Bye-bye. <laughs>